Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'll be your guys. We explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. Water. Did you ever stop to think just how important water is to your everyday life? From health, sanitation, and nutrition to transportation, recreation, and cultural identity, water is just as important today as it has been for countless people for generations. Whether it's the Mississippi River, the Missouri River, or the endless list of rivers, creeks, ponds, lakes, and even fountains that dot Missouri's landscape, this series is all about water. So with that, let's dive right in to water and waterways. For today's episode, I'm turning the microphone over to Andrew Olden. He is a PhD candidate in history at the University of Missouri and is presently working with with the State Historical Society of Missouri on an American Rescue Plan Act grant through Missouri Humanities that examines African-American heritage in the Ozarks. Andrew will tell us about CCC Camp 1743, which was based in Washington State Park near DeSoto, Missouri, and the history and legacy behind not only the park, but also of the African-American CCC workers who populated the area in the 1930s and worked to improve the area around the park as well as inside the park. The Thunderbird Rumblings, the camp newspaper of the Civilian Conservation Corps Company 1743 featured a front page column in a December 1937 edition of the paper, soliciting readers to quote, visit Washington State Park and view the Ozarks from the two looking towers overlooking the big river. These towers sit on two bluffs and afford one of the most impressive views in this locality. Views that you will get will always linger in your mind. It's one of the scenes of nature and all of its splendor that you have dreamed of." End quote. Company 1743 was one of three all-Black companies in the Missouri Civilian Conservation Corps, or CCC, as the organization is commonly known. Stationed in Washington State Park from 1934 to 1939, Company 1743 drew hundreds of young Black men from across the Midwest to the Northern Ozarks to construct trails, buildings, and roads throughout the park many of which are still in use today. Outside of their labor, the men in Camp Thunderbird, as they proudly labeled themselves, referencing the Native American carved petroglyphs in the park, constructed social networks and cultural institutions that expanded outside of Washington State Park to neighboring towns and more distant cities. Stationed in a predominantly white and rural area, the young men in their late teens and early 20s created a unique social and cultural network that adds to our understanding of African-American migration in the Great Depression and interwar years. In part through athletics and general social and leisure activities, such as joking, dancing, gossiping, or traveling, the men of Camp Thunderbird navigated an urban-rural divide that has largely been understudied, especially in the Missouri Ozarks. 
Throughout the mid to late 1930s, the Civilian Conservation Corps drew young Black men from across the Midwest to the Northern Ozarks. As in most segregated CCC camps, all the company was Black other than the white officers. In Camp Thunderbird, there was seemingly never a dull moment as the campers lived, worked, ate, and spent their leisure time together, which brought together a wide mix of personalities and people from urban and rural areas across the central Midwest. The two nearest towns were predominantly white residents and several miles away from Washington State Park, like DeSoto, which was approximately nine miles away, or Potosi, which is about 14 miles distance from the camp. Despite few African-American residents in the immediate area, the men of Camp Thunderbird tapped into existing Black communities and neighboring towns that had established schools and civic organizations. Whether on foot, by cab, or grabbing a ride on a company truck, the young men were mobile and wanted to see what the area had to offer. On extended holiday breaks or long weekends, some of the men took the opportunity to travel to more distant cities with larger African-American populations. Located approximately nine miles from the Potosi stop on the Iron Mountain Railroad, campers had the option to travel to more distant cities like St. Louis or Chicago and engaged with contemporary Black culture. Whether on a local or more distant trip, when they returned, the young men brought back tales of their excursions to be published in the Thunderbird Rumblings. From 1936 to November 1939, Camp Thunderbird's journalism class published the company's newspaper in near monthly intervals, which serves useful as a tool to retrace the social and cultural connections of the men in the camp. Outside of their paid labor on company projects, the men in Camp Thunderbird, like millions of men enrolled in the CCC throughout the United States, had the option to enroll in numerous education courses. Bringing together men from a variety of backgrounds, these classes aimed to enhance a variety of life skills that could be translatable to employment following their enlistment, like algebra, English, citizenship, forestry, auto mechanics, and carpentry. Highly regarded in Company 1743, students in the journalism class were known as hard workers and helped relay information, humor, and a variety of updates to hundreds of men stationed in the camp. Living in eight barracks, the news flowed through the barracks reporters and beat writers who published tales of bravado, masculinity, humor, and humility through the regular column updates. Readers found some national news, but the information primarily centered around the members of Camp Thunderbird. Whether that be updates from recent athletic events, information on an upcoming event in a nearby community, or reporter ribbing members of the company, the Thunderbird rumblings provided updates and entertainment in an age before cell phones and television. Though some articles and commentary published in the paper were crass, the columns reflected the interests of the young men in the camp and continually improved in quality, advertising, and structure over its years of publication. Using the Thunderbird rumblings as a primary source provides insight into the lives of the young Black men stationed 
in Washington State Park during their time in the CCC in the mid to late 1930s. Company 1743 originated in Missouri and was the first all-Black CCC company in the state, but was moved to South Dakota before being brought back to Missouri and reassigned to three different camps. As John Cunning noted in his 1996 Preservation Issues article, Company 1743 was, quote, first organized on April 15, 1933, as Company 694 at Jefferson Barracks in St. Louis, before being sent to Pierre, South Dakota, where it was redesignated as Company 1743, end quote. By October 1933, the company was brought back to Missouri and assigned to a project at Lake Contrary near the Missouri River in St. Joseph, Missouri. Whites in the area did not want an African-American company working in their area, claiming, quote, the Negro unit is unfamiliar with the kind of work to be done here, end quote. The county court and late contrary reclamation committee went as far as contacting secretaries of President Roosevelt and sent a representative to Washington, D.C. in an attempt to substitute a white company for the project. Despite the outcry of local whites, Company 1743 remained in Lake Contrary for approximately six months before being reassigned to the Northern Ozarks. In March 1934, Wilbur C. Buford, State Procurement and Forester for the CCC, announced that the Civilian Conservation Camp would be established on the banks of the Big River in Washington State Park. By June 1934, 240 young Black men originally from a mix of small towns and cities across the Midwest who composed 1743, arrived in the park near DeSoto, Missouri for their next conservation project. Stationed from 1934 to 1939 in Washington State Park, the men in the company created many of the roads, buildings, and trails throughout the park, but also enjoyed their time away from work. From the winding roads running along the bluffs of the Big River, to the stone culverts and structures around the park, the company's labor produced the vital infrastructure of the park, much of which is still in use nearly 90 years later. Working a regimented schedule for a dollar a day, the men enjoyed their free time as they pleased. When not joking, singing, or dancing, the hundreds of young men stationed there traveled to nearby towns or visited more distant cities, though Camp Thunderbird consistently served as their cultural hub during their time in the three seas. For the young men in Camp Thunderbird, sports were a central form of entertainment and formed a vital part of their social structure and camp. Engaging as both participants and spectators, athletics were in constant talk around the company. Whether competing in friendly intercamp games or in more competitive matches against rival teams around southeastern Missouri, the men of Company 1743 maintained the Thunderbird spirit, often taking on a team name associated with their camp mascot, the Thunderbird. Company 1743 consistently put together talented teams of athletes in a variety of different sports. Some athletes excelled at such lengths that they played in professional or semi-professional leagues after their tour in the CCC. This speaks to the extended legacy of Camp Thunderbird, and concentration of talented people in the company, which may not have been as abundant in the all-white Missouri CCC camps. In-camp athletics provided a platform 
for all men in the company to participate and compete against one another, building camaraderie and community in the process. Situated across eight barracks buildings, the men in camp competed formally and informally in sporting events to determine who was the most skilled at an event in question. At any point, competition could break out among the young men in an effort to prove who was the best billiard shot or who was the best ping pong player in the company. Where possible, the men built athletics fields at the park, such as tennis and volleyball courts, but also found ways to compete in basketball, softball, track and field, swimming, and horseshoes. Other than basketball and softball, most of these sports do not appear regularly in the Thunderbird rumblings, indicating varying degrees of interest depending on the cohort of men working in the company at the time. While athletics drew the men together and provided regular entertainment, the most talented athletes represented Camp Thunderbird outside of the park. Anyone in the company could participate in athletics around the camp, but the best athletes in popular sports like baseball and boxing competed in matches against white and black athletes across southeastern Missouri. In both formal and informal contests, Camp Thunderbirds athletics teams were consistently competitive in both boxing and baseball matches. Any pugilist could seemingly put on the gloves and practice with the boxing team, who at least occasionally trained at the DeSoto Armory, but only the best fighters from around the company made it on the traveling roster and later represented Camp Thunderbird at the St. Louis Globe Democrats Golden Gloves Boxing Tournament in St. Louis. Company 1743 regularly submitted a team of six to eight fighters in various weight classes for the Golden Gloves Tournament, and those competing became the pride of the camp, especially among others in their barracks. In 1939, a Camp Thunderbird fighter, Bobby Giles, even won the Golden Gloves Tournament of 17 teams in five fights with four knockouts. Much like the boxing team, the company baseball team traveled the region and several talented athletes played on the team both before and after their time in the Civilian Conservation Corps. Traveling as far south as the Missouri Boot Heel and as far north as St. Louis, the Thunderbirds baseball team primarily competed across the Eastern Ozarks and attempted to stay, quote, within a radius of 25 miles of the camp. The Thunderbirds played other CCC companies and the teams of local towns, but also ventured to St. Louis on at least one occasion to play the semi-pro team, the St. Louis A's, at Metropolitan Park. The outcome of the game at Metropolitan Park is unknown, but the Thunderbirds beat the A's 13-6 when the semi-pro team traveled to play the Thunderbirds in Cadet, Missouri. Clearly producing talented players, two members of the company, Gordon E. Nelson and James Giles. Both played for different teams in the Muni Baseball League. And Thomas E. Johnson, a pitcher for the Thunderbirds, played for the St. Louis Stars Negro League Baseball team. Still more impressive was James H. Lefty Lamarck, a native of Potosi and the camper who allegedly carved the Thunderbird motif in the dining lodge. He went on to have a successful career in the Negro League with the Kansas City Monarchs. In his first year with the team, Lamarck roomed with Satchel Paige and was eventually teammates with Jackie Robinson, though he played around the league during the 1940s and 1950s. 
Though the men enjoyed watching and participating in athletic competitions, they also took part in a wide variety of general activities around the park. Outside of athletics, the men in Camp Thunderbird enjoyed their time away from work and a variety of general leisure activities in Washington State Park, neighboring towns, and in more distant cities like St. Louis or Chicago. The Thunderbird rumblings indicate that friendly competition could break out at any moment that could range from being between a few members of a barracks or encompass a company-wide competition. The men competed in direct and indirect contests that established who was the best at a variety of activities and events. From annual fairs, such as the Easter egg hunting contest, to more regular competitions, like who had the cleanest barracks upon inspection, the young men in Company 1743 constantly competed against one another, which seemingly increased their camaraderie and sociability. In the three years of accessible Thunderbird Rumblings publications, multiple cohorts of journalists continually wrote with bravado on full display about other campers with both satire and serious, roasting the lovers in the company for readers. Through their lighthearted antics, readers of the paper obtained a sense of the personality traits of some of the men in the company and could better conceptualize the social networks created through Camp Thunderbird. May it be a jitterbug contest, a musical performance, dance lessons in one of the barracks before a local picnic, or simply joking and gossiping. The men in Camp Thunderbird were constantly with one another and when not working, were seemingly trying to keep moods light and have a good time. Month after month, readers of the Thunderbird rumblings absorbed tales of campers lusting over or bragging about their time spent with or chasing after women. These women were rarely mentioned by their full name, more commonly referred to by their initials in their hometown, with the men in the camp presumably knowing just who the authors were writing about. The men spoke of women they knew from their hometowns, but more commonly of ladies they met in neighboring municipalities, who many of the single men lusted after following a dance or social function. Framed in bravado and hyper-masculinity, women often bore the brunt of a joke in the paper or were written off in misogynistic terms. One comment from 1936 read, quote, boys, don't get discouraged if your girlfriend gives you a cold shoulder. Maybe she wants you to warm it up with a few hot kisses, end quote. Though they created a social network in Camp Thunderbird, the campers also heavily relied on local black communities to network and socialize. Several towns relatively near Washington State Park, like Festus, Crystal City, and Bonterre, occasionally hosted members of Company 1743, though the men were most active in the nearest sizable towns from the park, DeSoto and Potosi. When not cruising the town as heart-stricken lovers, the men engaged in local commerce and communal activities, potentially grabbing a Pepsi at Fitzgibbon Drugstore, catching a ride back to camp with DeSoto Cab, or picking up clothes before a dance from New Deal cleaners. The men of Company 1743 became active participants in the local Ozarks economy. Whites in DeSoto were initially apprehensive to welcome the young black men into their community, but grew to accept the men of Camp Thunderbird and mourn the loss of the company when they left the area. 
or they're hosting a dance such as the Thunderbird Royal Sports Dance put on by Company 1743's Leadership Club in the holiday season, or when attending events put on in a neighboring town like the PTA dance at Dunbar School in Potosi, or a 4th of July homecoming picnic in Farmington, or the Soto PTA event at the local theater. The men in Company 1743 actively participated in local communities, both white and black. In Potosi and DeSoto, two closest sizable towns to Camp Thunderbird, the black population was less than 5% of residents, inclining that the men in the company likely had to navigate racial boundaries in the Northern Ozarks that went unpublished. Navigating this racial terrain, the men in Company 1743 integrated themselves into neighboring towns but also traveled to cities with larger black populations. Located approximately nine miles from the DeSoto stop on the Iron Mountain Railway, campers took full advantage of convenient travel on the Union Pacific, heading to and from St. Louis and more distant locations, bringing back with them pieces of contemporary black culture to be spread around camp. The temptation of travel or the feelings of homesickness led campers to attend dances, visit friends or family, and take short vacations to St. Louis, Kansas City, or even possibly Chicago. Whether engaging in the latest dance craces at Swingland in the Windy City, or attending dances played by Rudy Valley, Fats Wallers, and Louis Armstrong in St. Louis, the men of Camp Thunderbird constantly engaged with cultural institutions outside the Ozarks, bringing back what they witnessed to the camp. Among the dances and constant socialization between campers, this contemporary culture undoubtedly influenced the eclectic group of men and Company 1743. By November 1939, Company 1743 completed their assignment at Washington State Park and the CCC transferred the men to Mark Twain State Park in Florida, Missouri. Much like in 1933, when whites caused an uproar at Lake Contrary, in 1939, white Florida, Missouri residents filed a petition against the movement of Camp Thunderbird to Mark Twain State Park. They claimed that, quote, there are no colored people within a 16 miles radius of Florida, and that they thought, quote, a camp composed of white boys will fit into our economical and social life much better than the colored boys, end quote. Faced with the potential of losing the CCC camp altogether if they did not quell their racial anxieties, Florida-based business owners organized a bus tour of Floridians to Washington State Park to witness Company 1743's work firsthand. Combined with the recommendations of the people of DeSoto who, quote, were much in favor of retaining the CCC camp, end quote, the Floridians dropped their complaints and Company 1743 moved to Mark Twain State Park. There, they helped construct the park's infrastructure, including Camp Tom Sawyer and the Buzzards Roost picnic area before the company was disbanded as World War II began. In the eight decades since Company 1743 left Camp Thunderbird, most of the structures the company built remain. However, other than the park staff's efforts to keep their legacy alive, African-American history in the area is largely forgotten or ignored. From 1934 to 1939, 
the men of Camp Thunderbird constructed numerous structures from limestone carved from Washington State Park, including guest cabins, a superintendent's shelter, a wall culvert, picnic and lookout shelters, a contact station, and the famed dining lodge, which features a carved Thunderbird. The staff at Washington State Park honors the legacy of Company 1743 with yearly bus tours and gatherings during February, a nod to the White Floridians tour of the park and have a permanent exhibit devoted to Camp Thunderbird in the Park Welcome Center. Outside of the hard work of the park staff to preserve the company's legacy, there's currently little historical analysis of black history in the area immediately surrounding the park, let alone in the greater Missouri Ozarks. Thank you for listening to the Our Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.